and what the jungle. If you've always wondered what it felt like to be a missionary, I guess this might be the closest some of us ever get. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Yeah, Judges chapter six this morning. Judges chapter six. As Pastor mentioned, we have been working on a series of lessons, six total lessons entitled Altars That Alter, Altars That Change Us. And each of these are moments when individuals in Scripture are faced with an altar that either they have created or God has instructed them to create. Or in this particular instance this morning, we actually see two altars, which is a little bit different. And we're calling this one this morning the altar of obedience. You know, one of the issues with our Christian faith is that our faith is not black and white. Salvation is black and white. Either you is or you isn't. But when it comes to much of our Christian walk, there's a lot of gray areas in there. And sometimes we think we're obedient when we're really not. And so this morning as we look at this, Judges chapter 6, we'll read two verses to begin. And then of course as we've been doing, we'll look at a good portion of this chapter. Verses 24 and 25 are our text this morning. Judges 6.24, the Bible says, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is beside it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We ask you for grace and mercy this morning. We ask you, Father, that you would bless this lesson, help each of us to learn obedience. Father, Lord, even Jesus Christ himself learned obedience by the things that he went through. And Father, we ask you, God, that you would just teach us this morning. We pray to obey you in all things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things as I was thinking about this particular lesson is that Obedience is not always easy. It is one of the most difficult things in many cases that we will ever do in our Christian life. Obeying God is not always simple. And sometimes you're going to think that the world around you is going to hate you for the decisions that you're making. But to be quite honest with you, I rather like what Scripture says. It's better to obey God rather than man. And so when we get into these lesson, this lesson this morning, I want us to keep in mind that even though what God has asked us to do many times in obeying Him is not easy, He always gives grace. There was a sign that hung in an office that I occupied down in West Virginia, and for many years I would sit at my desk and look at this poster. And it had a picture of a man crossing an ice floe. Rather interesting, but across the bottom of it, it says... Those that attempt the difficult often attain the impossible. And it's just one of those encouraging statements that's supposed to encourage you to keep doing what's right and keep trying even when you don't think it's going to work out. And as we look at what this lesson is about this morning in the life of Gideon, I'd say that Gideon didn't understand. And we'll kind of see that in the scriptures as we go. He didn't understand how all of this was going to work out. 
As we back up to the beginning of the chapter, we read in the first six verses, verses one through six, we see Gideon's circumstances. Now, Gideon lived in a day when the nation of Israel was in disobedience to God. They'd been chastised by God. And we read in that passage of Scripture in verse number one that Israel did evil. You know, we, we can look at this tonight or this morning and we... Pardon me, by the way, I often for, uh, flip morning and evening. I work midnights for too long. So I do that all the time. If you hear it, just ignore it. It's just stupidity. But <laughs> Israel did evil. And we look at the world around us today, and to be quite honest with you, we can see our life lining up pretty much with Gideon's. It's a difficult time that we live in. It's not an easy time to be a Christian, but it's a great time to be a Christian. We are living at the very edge of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, preacher, I know they've been saying that for years. That's okay. Every day is just a day closer. So it's more true today than it was yesterday. Tomorrow will be more true than it is today. So as we look at this, Israel did evil and God punished them by sending the Midianites in. And in verse number two, we read that the children of Israel hid in the caves of the mountains. Now, we've, we've been blessed by God that we're not having to hide, but right now, sometimes it feels like we're outnumbered, as we see in this passage of Scripture. In verses 3 and 4, the Midianites come in and they destroy. And interestingly enough, most, most of the time when you see an enemy come in, they take everything that they can get and gather it to themselves and use it as their own private blessing. But in this particular case, that doesn't seem to be what the Bible indicates says they destroyed everything. They didn't want it for themselves. They just didn't want the Israelites to have it either. And so God sends this chastening. And verse number five, the Bible says that the Midianites were as grasshoppers. Now, here's the, the part where we sometimes feel like we're outnumbered. I don't know the true statistic or if there could even ever be a true statistic as the number of unsaved versus the number of saved in our world but we do know, according to Scripture, that we are a minority. And maybe not in the eyes of the world today, they may not agree with that, but we are a minority when it comes to biblically speaking. Verse number 6 is rather interesting because it says that the Israelites were impoverished. You know, you and I this morning, we live in what I would consider maybe the wealthiest country in the world. We've got all of our needs, and yes, things are getting more expensive every day, but we don't have famines right now. We don't have shortages for the most part, except those that are economically created. We'll, we'll use that phrase this morning. And so we find ourselves this morning maybe having a hard time understanding what it means to be impoverished. But there may come a day that we might understand this a little better. But just so you understand Gideon's circumstances this morning, in verses 7 through 10, we see that the nation of Israel begins to cry unto God, in verse number 8, the Bible says that God sends them a prophet to remind them of both his goodness and his past deliverance in verses 8 and 9. In verse number 10, we see, though, we see a condemnation of the nation of Israel. The Bible says, but ye have not obeyed. The blessings of God are unchanging. The blessings of God are always available. But many times we find that the blessings of God are hindered by our disobedience or lack of obedience. Even in the New Testament, we find Christ saying that He did not there many mighty works because of their unbelief. It is a lack of obedience, of obeying the gospel, if you will. 
And so we see this morning that the children of Israel have come to a place where they've done what needed to be done. They called unto God. They cried out to God. God sends them a man to tell them what's wrong. One of the issues with many churches today is that they feel that if they call a man, it's simply going to fix everything. But the problem is that many times there's a confrontation that's involved in it. And most people don't want that confrontation. They don't want to be faced with what's wrong. They don't want to fix the problems. They just want it to be right. That doesn't work very well. In the next section, verses 11 through 14, we see Gideon's call. We read a lot about Gideon. We see his, uh, I, I guess you would say, weak faith to a certain degree, putting God to the test several times further on in Scripture. But we, we see him in this passage of Scripture nonetheless being called by God. Can I point out to you this morning that God's call in your life is not based on you. It's never been based on you. It's always been based on God Himself. You see, when God called me to preach, it wasn't because of my ability to speak. It wasn't because of my ability to learn. It wasn't because of my ability to organize notes. None of that. It's all because it's something that God wanted and God understood that there's a way for him to get glory out of a poor country boy learning what the word of God means and trying to do something about it. You know, you and I this morning, we understand, or at least we say we understand, that it's not always about us, but sometimes we get a little confused. Verse number 12, we see an angel arrive and he calls Gideon something that he doesn't understand. He calls him a mighty man of valor. You and I this morning, if God were to send a messenger to us and tell us that we are a mighty man or mighty woman of valor, most of us would probably do like Sarah did and laugh at God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it, that is not something that I would ever expect to be called, and Gideon didn't expect it either. We see that in Gideon's reaction in this verse. It's, it's almost as if you can hear him say, who? <laughs> Me? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you talking to? There's nobody else here. You, you've got to be mistaken. There's got to be something wrong. As we look at this, we see Gideon remind God that he's nobody. Down just a few verses, I think it's verse number 15, if I remember correctly. We'll, yep, verse number 15. He says, my family is poor and I'm the least in my family. Who am I that God would use me? And each and every one of us, we should have that reaction when God says He wants to use us. We're nobody. And we need to understand and remember that it's all about Him. But God does require obedience. As we go on a little bit further in verse number 13, we see Gideon's confusion as he looks at this angel and he says, Why then, in verse number 13, Why then has all this befallen us? And where be all His miracles which our fathers told us of? I don't understand this. What has happened to all of the blessings that God has provided the nation of Israel? You see, here's the problem. You and I this morning, based on looking back, we understand and we know that when we begin to disobey God, God's blessings dry up. They begin to wither on the vine, if you will. It's not because of God's lack of ability. It's because of our disobedience. We need to come to a place where we understand when God says something, God means exactly what He said, even if we don't always understand it. You know, there are lessons that I have had to learn in my life, and many of them I have had to learn the hard way because I didn't do what God said the first time. 
Sometimes it just comes to a simple matter of saying, yes, Lord. When I was in the Navy, one of the things that they taught us is when I say jump, you say, how high? <laughs> you don't have to ask which direction even, just do what they said. And when it comes to God, that's exactly what God wants from us. God wants total obedience. I had a, a preacher years ago that was very fond of a statement. He said that partial obedience is total disobedience. Unfortunately, I've been guilty of even that. One of the other things that bothers us as Christians is that we think that maybe God has forgotten the day in which he has called us to live. I can't help but equate this to the passage in Esther where it says that God had called her for such a time as this. God knew exactly what was going on. God knows the hardness of our day. God knows the lack of reception to, to Scripture and to the gospel in many cases, but God has still called us to obey Him and preach the gospel. I was listening to Brother Doug and his wife practice, and part of that song talks about obedience, obeying God. I'm like, man alive, I like it. And you know, that's, that's what we need to learn. Verses 15 and 16, we see Gideon ask yet another question. He says, wherewith shall I save Israel? How am I going to do this? Gideon didn't understand what God was going to do. And I often don't know what God is up to. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get more confused every day at what I think God wants me to do in my life. Lord, you said you want me to what? Okay, I'll do it. You open the door and I'll walk through the door. We get a little impatient sometimes, but that's what God wants us to do. Us to simply wait until God opens a door and then do what he told us to do. When we get down to verse number 17 through 23, we see Gideon's consternation. You say, what is that word? Ah, preachers corrupted me. What can I say? You know, alliteration is a terrible thing in some cases. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Consternation means astonishment or amazement or horror that confounds the faculties. Sometimes we get so confused over what's going on. And as we read down through verses 17 through 23, we see Gideon's confusion over the simple fact that God does show them grace. We don't understand the blessings that God gives to us. And sometimes we wonder how God can simply pour things out on the life of somebody that's not what we believe in total, dis in total obedience to God. We sometimes feel like we're lacking, we're missing something somewhere along the way. But yet when we begin to obey, God begins to pour out on us blessings that we can't even imagine. I always love the passage that talks about how that God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we can't even contain. We can't understand it in many cases. But there's a passage back in the Old Testament that doesn't say that God opens a window, but that God opens a door in heaven. You know, God's blessings are without limit. And sometimes that first step of obedience, that first beginning of, of acceptance of what God wants from us brings about just this little bit of blessing, a reminder of the grace of God. You know, grace is gifts received at Christ's expense or basically getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve any good thing from God. And I'm thankful this morning that He does show grace to us. In verse number 18, we see that grace is verified in Scripture by the fact that the angel does what Gideon asks him to do. He stays there and waits until Gideon comes back. 
Verse number 19, we see the sacrifice that Gideon brings. Now I need to remind you this morning that Gideon is living in a day when they don't have much. Here's the, here's the thing that a lot of us as Christians, we forget. How many of us have said, you know, if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to tell you right now, don't play the lottery. It's not worth it, okay? God, God has a way of pouring out blessings. You don't need to worry about the lottery. But we've all said it. You know, if I ever won the lottery, I'd give X amount of dollars to the church. Well, that's not the problem. The problem is that God has blessed you with a hundred. You may want a hundred thousand, but God's blessed you with a hundred. What are you doing with the hundred? Until, until you begin to do what you're supposed to with the hundred, God's never going to bless you with a hundred thousand. God doesn't want us to promise what we will do if. God wants us to promise to do what we will with what we have. And here we see Gideon in verse number 19 making a sacrifice. He sacrifices a kid. He sacrifices cakes and broth. Remember the hardship that they're going through. Remember the simple fact that the Midians come in and they destroy every crop that they've got. They slaughter their animals. Where did Gideon get something to offer as a sacrifice? He took that widow's mite from the New Testament. He took that last little bit that he had. In the New Testament, we see that widow as she casts in all her substance, Scripture says. You and I this morning, we feel that we're blessed, but we think that we can't give to God. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you haven't paid tithes, you're robbing God. If you're sitting in this room and you've not obeyed God financially, how can you expect God to bless you financially? If you've not obeyed, God will not bless you. Not in the totality of what He can. God sometimes in His grace and mercy does pour out small blessings to us. But we can't expect the very best if we're not willing to, to obey in what we've got. Gideon decided not to hold anything back. That might have been the meal for the day for the family. That might have been the meal for the week for the family. We don't know exactly how impoverished they really were. But I can promise you one thing, it was well worth it to Gideon. When he sees what takes place in verse number 21, verse number 20, the angel tells him to lay it out on this rock and pour out the broth. Verse number 21, the angel reaches out with his staff and he touches it to this offering and poof. Man, I tell you what, what a blessing. Gideon suddenly is faced with who he's looking at and this consternation, the fear that he's got in his life of who he's standing in front of. There's an interesting phrase that's used in this passage of Scripture. And if you go back and you read the statements by the angel, I don't believe this is just any angel. I don't think this is Michael or Gabriel. I think this is Jesus Christ. We see a statement that's made in there. He says, I have... I've told you what to do. I've instructed you. An angel would never have done that. That's taking upon himself an authority that he doesn't have. Suddenly, Gideon is faced with the simple fact of who he's standing in front of. But the angel tells him, peace. He gives him a measure of peace. You know, you and I, we, we go through our Christian life wanting to obey God, or at least saying we are wanting to. And yet we're in such turmoil about it. When we come to the place, and Rita and I have found this 
quite frequently in our Christian walk that when you suddenly realize what God wants from you, and then you decide to step out about it, there's a peace that comes that you just cannot explain. I'm sure that Pastor and Brother Mark and Miss Lois, I'm sure you guys have experienced that over the years. I'm sure that when this church started all those years ago, there was a lot of turmoil at the beginning. And then suddenly there's a peace that comes from God when you do what He said to do. You see, that's what God wants from us. He wants total obedience. And that obedience, we might not understand. Preacher, how long has it been? 24, 25 years now? 23 plus. 23 years ago, did you know this church would be what it is today? Man, I tell you what, could we be better? Could we have things still to work on? Yeah, definitely. And preachers working on that, I'm sure. But you know something? We don't see the long plan. We don't see what God has ahead 20, 30, 40 years down the road. But God does. And all God wants from us is obedience. An altar of obedience is something that's necessary in each of our lives. A place where we realize that we have to obey. We get to verses 24 through 27. Verse number 24, as I, as I read this, to be honest with you, I, I kind of had a flashback to one of the Wednesday night, uh, Sunday night meetings, a uh, preacher preaching on the book of Revelation, and uh, he, he called it a parenthetical statement. And we kind of see that same parenthetical statement idea right here. In verse number 24, we see a summary of what's getting ready to happen. And then the parenthetical comes with the explanation and the, the details of everything that takes place. You get down to verse number 25, we see the specific command. We read it just a few minutes ago. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the, altar, uh, cut down the grove that is by it. Specific, very specific instructions. Why did it make a difference which ox he chose? I have no idea. And I don't know that we will ever know. But it made a difference to God. What would have happened had Gideon chosen the wrong animal? Had he not obeyed God and chosen maybe the older oxen? Would he have still been able to accomplish what he did? I don't know. Maybe it was something that God knew about the strength of the two oxen. We really don't understand it. We don't have a, a full layout of everything about it. We don't have the stats and statistics on those two animals, okay? But yet we see that it is very specific to God that he chooses the right animal to do it. Tells him who owns the altar that he's about to tear down. So we see this morning that technically this altar of obedience is technically two altars. An altar that Gideon will build and an altar that he's told to tear down. You see, you and I, we each have altars in our life that don't belong there. We each have parts of our life that just don't line up with God's Word. And sometimes it, the greatest courage that we can have is to rip those things out of our life. What's the Bible say? If thine right eye offend thee, pluck it out. I don't know about you, but that's a bit extreme. But sometimes that's exactly what God wants from us. The things that are in our life that are not lining up with the Word of God need to go. When it comes to obeying God, you can't build that altar to God until you've already taken care of the other one. 
We read verse number 23 or 24, we see that statement of what's to come, but the altar doesn't get built until we get just a little bit further down in Scripture. The Bible says in verse number 26, And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. Which rock? The one that he had just offered sacrifice on. This is where it's supposed to be, Gideon. This is what I want you to do. I want you to build an altar right here. But he could not do that until he'd already taken care of his dad's altar. You and I, we live, we live in a world that is so blessed by God and doesn't see it. And yet we live a life that's in partial obedience to God most of the time. We think we're okay because we come to church on Sunday. If we're really good, we come to church on Sunday night. And man, if you're super spiritual, you come to church on Wednesday night too. No, that's not it at all. That's just the basics. That's just the bare minimum of serving God. You know, when we really learn to obey God, it's 24-7. It's every moment of every hour of every day. There are no holidays. When you go on vacation, if you decide that you're going on vacation and you don't have a church planned to visit while you're there, you better get it right. Because we need to obey God. A vacation is never supposed to be a vacation from God. When we learn to obey God in all things, God will bless us beyond anything we could ever imagine. And I'm not just talking financially. If God stopped doing anything financial for me tomorrow, the other blessings that God has put in my life will more than make up for it. Guys, I, I say that very carefully because I understand that we have an adversary that did that to Job. He took away the monetary blessings. And yet Job remained faithful to God. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to come to the place where we obey God regardless of whether the blessings are there or not. There are some golden classics in Scripture. James 4.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not... To him it is sin. We read passages like 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 22. The last portion says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. But you know, the problem is that you and I today, we live in a world that doesn't want us to obey God. The world's advertising is designed to appeal to our flesh just like it does the unsaved. And unfortunately, we give into it way too often. There are multiple times that I've been sitting watching some program on television and, <laughs> ooh, man, that's shiny. I like that. Got to get me one. And there's a joke behind that. One of these days I'll tell it to you, but not this morning. But <laughs> got to get me one is the thing, you know, and that's the attitude that the world's advertising wants us to have, even as a Christian. We get so caught up in the things of this world that we forget about God. But there are times in Scripture when God does commend, when He does tell people that He has watched what they're doing. There is no greater joy to a saved person than to have God say something along the lines of what He said back in the Old Testament in Genesis 18. It says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. God knew. 
God knew what Abraham was going to do. God knows us. And for some, some reason, we seem to think that God's not paying attention. When we obey God, God does take notice. And it's not just God that notices. There are times in Scripture, there are passages when our commendation doesn't come from God. It comes from men. I work a secular job. You guys all know that. In my secular job, recognition is, is given quite frequently. But not always does it come back to the spiritual realm. If you've ever had somebody say something about you along the lines of that's a godly man or a godly person, that's when you know you've done what you needed to do in the workplace outside of church. And it does happen. We see it in Scripture. Book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 19. The Bible says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. Yes, he's talking to a church and not an individual. But it's the same principle. When you obey God, it does get noticed. And your obedience to God just might give somebody else the courage to do what you've done. To stand for God. Obedience is not supposed to be an option. It's supposed to be expected. It's supposed to be the norm in the life of a Christian. The problem is we have a great conflict in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice verse 5 and 6. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is the conflict that we are each faced with. Coming to a place where we want to obey God, but we understand that what God is asking us to do is extremely difficult. To bring our thoughts into compliance with Scripture, I don't know about you guys, but I fail that on a daily basis. I want my thought life to be what God wants it to be, but it isn't always. I daydream just like everybody else. We get so caught up in the things of this world that we forget that God still wants us to obey Him. The last verse, the verse that I haven't read yet, verse number 6 says this, "...and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience..." when your obedience is fulfilled. I've always thought this phrase a little curious in Scripture. A readiness to revenge all disobedience. That's not me watching Brother Doug waiting for him to get out of line. That's not me waiting to smack Brother Doug with a stick when he does something that I don't agree with. That's standing in front of the mirror in the bathroom on a daily basis going, you need to get your act together, mister. That's me recognizing the sin in my life. Realizing it and trying my very best to uproot it. And by my very best, the only way that I can do that is in total submission to God. You see, God's got to be the one to give us the strength to do it. Obedience is one of those things that once we begin, once we begin following God and begin obeying God, 
God gives us more blessing added on top of what we already had to begin to overcome what we had previously considered small problems in our life. Obedience is not black and white. It's as gray as can be many times. But it shouldn't be. We live our life in this gray zone. And we think we're okay. But that's not what God wants from us. Does God understand our human nature and the fact that we struggle with obedience? Oh, yes. He knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. He made us. He knows what we became in the fall. But yet he understands that it is possible through submission to God to truly obey him. I have said so many times over the course of the last year that I don't want anything but the will of God for my life. And more and more every day I realize that sometimes in my flesh I really don't mean that. In my flesh I struggle with wanting what God wants. But when God reveals it and we begin to step out, God gives us the grace to continue to obey. Psalm 119 verse 104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. It's not Brother Mark's false way that I don't like. It's mine. It's not about anybody else in the room but me. I'm not asking you to judge each other. I'm asking you to judge yourself. Scripture says that if judgment starts at the house of God, God can do anything. God gives us this idea in Scripture that by obeying Him, by judging ourselves and the problems that are in our life, we can come to a place where God's got an open door to do anything with anybody. There's a, a gentleman that I, I love to listen to his music. Stephen Ray Nichols is his name. And he's, he's got a song that he sings about the building of the tabernacle. And I don't remember the title of it, Rita might, but he, he talks about the work wasn't for Moses and Aaron to do, but it's for somebody else, just a ordinary man, he says. You see, it's the ordinary folks in church that God wants to use. But the only way God is going to use us is if we really come to the place where we obey. There is a, a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's the only good use I've ever found in Scripture of the word malice. Malice is hatred, basically. It's, it's a, a hating of something so badly that you want to do something about it. And in this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 4, verse number 31, says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and I lost my spot, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It is the one time in Scripture that I see that God tells us we can have malice against something and not be condemned by God. When we begin to rip those things out of our lives, we should do so without mercy. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in the room have a flower bed at the house? Okay. I don't. I hate them. I, I give anything green a flat top. That's that simple. It all gets mowed down. You have a, a flower bed at your house and you begin to pull the weeds out. Do you do so gently? Oh, you poor little dandelion. Oh, I'm so sorry. I got to pull you out of there. No. 
rip that dude out and throw it across the yard. And that's what we need to do with the problems that are in our life, the disobediences that are in our life. Rip them out and throw them away. <laughs> brother Chuck back there smiling. Hopefully it's because you recognize something like that in our lives, brother. Yeah, we each need it. One of the things that, the last thing that I would like to remind you of this morning is this. The altar of obedience is available anytime. It's one of those ones that we can practically carry around in our back pocket. We can obey God at any time. And we should at all times. When we learn to obey God, our Christian walk, here's, here's a verse for you. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But the problem is there is some condemnation in a lot of Christians' lives because we've never learned to obey. And when we can get to the place where we've learned to obey, that condemnation goes away. Man, I tell you what, this morning, I want the blessings of God in my life. I want God to look down at the end of my life and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Maybe this morning you've struggled with obeying God. Maybe, maybe God has shown you what He wants from you. And maybe you struggle with it. Right now, this morning, I'll be quite honest with you. I'm waiting for God to show me exactly what He wants. And I pray that when He does, I'll have the boldness and courage and ability to simply say, yes, Lord, yes. But I won't know until I get there. I can determine in my heart like the young men did in the Old Testament. But sometimes it's difficult until you're faced with the situation. Would you this morning, would you, would you determine in your heart to obey God when God shows you His will? Would you search your life for the problems and dig them out? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, I know, Father, that there is much that could have been said that, Lord, maybe in my flesh I could not have been the one to say. So, Lord, I ask you, Father, that you continue to work this morning, Lord, in the heart of each of those that listen this morning. Lord, would you help us to understand what it means to truly obey you? Lord, not in just little bits and pieces, but in totality. Lord, we ask you for your blessing this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and the altar of obedience, as the piano begins to play, maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe God's asking something of you this morning, and maybe you're struggling with it. Maybe you're warring within yourself and saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Sometimes God asks of us things that do not make sense to us. I love that illustration of Gideon and how God told him to select which bullock to pick out of that crowd. That's amazing. Well, why would God do that? Because God wants to know that we are going to follow and obey him in some of the most simplest things that we don't even understand. Sometimes we can't even explain it, even after it's said and done. Well, I, I'm not sure why God had me do that. I just know God had me do that. Are you willing to follow God? Are you willing to obey God?
As the piano plays, the altar's open.